welcome everybody to all of our campuses meeting throughout the Twin Cities today. So glad you made it, you made it to church. Making that a priority in your life uh, really means a lot to us and to God, really. So thanks for making it out. I also want to welcome those of you who are joining us online today around our country and world. Always glad to be able to welcome you as a part of our congregation. We know that you're out there. And we are in a series called Divine Direction because all of us, every single one of us, makes hundreds of decisions every single day. Most of those decisions are minor, what to eat, what to wear, what, what to watch on TV. But there's about four or five decisions that all of us will make throughout our lives that will either set our life on a great path or a not-so-great path. Decisions about faith, family, marriage, money, raising kids, you know, decisions about a career choice. The series is called Divine Direction because really the best decision any of us can, can make, the first decision is to put our full trust in Jesus Christ who will then guide us divinely by his spirit. The Bible talks about this in Proverbs and throughout, but it says, trust in the Lord with what? All your heart. Not just part of your heart, but just all in. Trust the Lord with all your heart in all your ways, acknowledge him as Savior and God and King over your life, over your business, over your kids and family. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And here's the promise. If you do that, he will direct your paths. He'll give us divine direction by his spirit, actually, that other people miss out on. It doesn't mean that life will be easy. In fact, those of us who live in Minnesota, we are facing in a couple months from now some real difficulty. And, uh, you know, these. <laughs> we, we laugh and we groan. And I don't, I don't know why we laugh. It's just funny to me. This guy actually is a hero. I mean, he almost makes it. Just barely. And then he just cashes it in. I mean, none of us can avoid days like that, right? We all have troubling, hardship days, but the Bible says God will even help us get through those days if we trust him with all our heart. Two weeks ago, I said that I honestly believe that, that God would want every single one of us to start something, and many of you made a decision to start something new. Start saving, perhaps, or reading, or apologizing. Start saying no to some things. And then last week, Ryan Leak was here. I hope you had a chance to see Ryan. Wasn't he a fantastic uh, speaker and teacher? Yeah. <laughs> Ryan's watching today from Dallas. So, And Ryan said, you know, some of us, God's divine direction is we need to stop some things. Create a stop doing list. And start, you know, eliminating some things in our life. Today's message is called simply go. Because part of God's divine direction will at times be that God wants you to go. But I've never wanted to go. Uh, when it was time for me to go to kindergarten, first day of kindergarten, I'll never forget this. I was at the Play-Doh table and I just couldn't hold it in. I started crying right there, first day, uh, leaving my mom to go to kindergarten was one of the worst days of my young life. And my Play-Doh partner tried to console me, but then he started crying. So we just cried it out right there at the table. Never wanted to leave home and go to college. I had a pit in my stomach all during welcome week. You know, all the rah, rah, and goofy games, I just hated all of it and had this pit. Why am I here? But honestly, going to kindergarten was kind of a low-level decision. 
Uh, going to college was a lower level decision. After college, I made two major decisions that would affect the rest of my life, and they still do to this day. The first decision was I married Laurie Thompson, which was fantastic until it wasn't. We had so much conflict in our first year of marriage that we both thought we've married the wrong person. It took us about 20 years to stop annoying each other so much. I mean, we still do, but not as much as we used to. Second major decision after college, right away after college, is I went to seminary, which was another four years of agony, eight years back-to-back, going to school, part-time jobs, being absolutely poor. In my final year of seminary, I was trying to figure out what I was going to do next, so my wife and I drove up to a tiny church in rural Wisconsin to be a guest speaker, just to fill their pulpit. They didn't have a pastor, so we drove up in February, and there was nothing in that town but a bait shop and a gas station. There were more deer in town than there were people, honestly, but I preached to about 50 people that day. After church, an 80-year-old woman, Helen Tyberg, invited us over to her house for lunch, and after lunch, she and three other older people kind of cornered me and began asking me a bunch of questions about my life. Turns out that was my interview. I thought I was just going to come up, but they were interviewing me to be their senior pastor. I was 26 years old. On the way home, I told my wife, don't worry, we are not going there. And I didn't see a vision. I didn't hear a voice. But I couldn't get that little church out of my mind. Plus, I saw a deer trail going right through Helen's backyard, and I thought, we got to go. For the next five years... Five years, Laurie and I lived in that little town. I went to my tiny office every single day and wrote my sermons on a typewriter, a Selectric typewriter. I ran the copier. I folded the bulletins for Sunday. And I filled our freezer with deer, ducks, and grouse. Our two kids were born during those five years in fallen Wisconsin. And our little church grew from 60 people to 230 And I I didn't know where they were coming from. And on the day we packed our U-Haul to leave, the tears came again. Because for five years, that little church in town was our home. And we didn't want to go. But we couldn't stay because God was nudging me again. And I wasn't sure of this next major decision, but I decided to go back to grad school. We drove a 1,000 miles to Penn State University with no job, no extended family, no friends. We had a dumpy old car, two kids in diapers. I was 31. Honestly, had no clue what our future was. Those three years at Penn State were extremely hard. We had no money. Our apartment burned down in the middle of a cold February night. I was working on my doctorate and teaching undergrad classes. And I'm telling you, we barely made it. But God taught me something, built something into me at Penn State that I would have never gotten just being a pastor. I learned how the secular world thinks and how to reach people who have no clue about God, the Bible, or morality. I learned that really smart people can make a mess of their lives. And it's why to this day I have such a big heart for students because of what our culture oftentimes does to our young people. Graduated from Penn State at age 34 and accepted a job at a little church in White Bear Lake, Minnesota. 
But during the first year here, my associate quit, my worship leader quit, and I wanted to quit. It was a bad year. But there were a few people in that church in White Bear who helped me see that God still has a plan, even though it's tough. And now, 28 years later, that little church of 300 is a church of 24,000. It's the eighth largest church in our nation. It's the largest church in the Midwest, and it's been the greatest honor of my life to be the leader. But I give you that brief history because some people look at our church and look at our life and think, man, it looks easy. Must have always been that way. But I can tell you it wasn't easy. Not a, not a single day has been easy, at least not for me. It's been 40 years of going, going to school, going to a tiny little church in Nowheresville, Wisconsin, going back to school, and then going to another church here in White Bear. And in between going, I'm telling you, there was a lot of waiting and wondering what God was up to. Sometimes not much happening, but I'm telling you, it was during the going that built into me things like wisdom and faith and perseverance that God knew that I needed and couldn't get any other way. God knew that going was necessary for my personal growth. And I'm, I'm telling you, this will happen in your life, that at times when you hear God's voice nudging you to go, going is absolutely necessary at times. For God to grow something in your, in your life. By the way, going doesn't have to be big. Oftentimes, it's simply God asking you to go and visit a neighbor or go and apologize. It doesn't have to be big. But other times, it will be a major go. Like go to rehab if that's needed. You know, go to another state or job or country. So I want to give you three keys today that will help you know if it's time for you to go somewhere. The first one is this. Seems obvious, but in order to go, you actually have to leave. I mean, just think about that, though. I think it's hard to leave, and so in order to go somewhere else, you actually have to leave where you are, and that's usually very difficult. In Genesis 12, uh, we have the story of how God chose Abraham to be the beginning of a great nation, Israel, and God said, I want this tiny little nation to bless all of the nations of the earth, and by the way, even the United States God's plan was through the nation Israel. God would build a people who followed him and loved him and that that nation would be a blessing to all the other nations on the planet. And so God spoke to one man, Abraham, by his spirit. And God said to Abraham, I want you to leave your country. I want you to leave your people, your father's household, and I want you to go to a land I will show you. God said, leave and go. Well, go where? <laughs> God didn't actually say where to go. He said, I want you to leave and go. The hardest part about going is that you don't know actually what's ahead. So in Hebrews 11.8, it says by faith, it actually requires faith. When you feel God's nudging you in the spirit, you don't know what's ahead. So it requires a step of faith. God, I am going to follow you. Abraham obeyed and went, even though he didn't know where he was going. All Abraham had was a nudge, a voice of God's spirit asking him to go. So he went, not knowing what was ahead. If you know the story, 
Abraham and Sarah were 75 years old when God told them to go. 75 years old when God said, I'm going to make a great nation out of your offspring. 75 years old, the only problem is they didn't have any kids yet. Sarah was barren and they, they, they couldn't conceive. So how could they be the start of a great nation at age 75 with no kids? They didn't know. Because God usually doesn't show you the details until by faith you step out and you go. So they hear this promise at age 75. But then it was, then it was 25 more years of waiting to get pregnant. Finally, at age 99, they hear God's promise for children again. The Bible says that Sarah laughed. Why did she laugh? Because she's 99. And so the Bible says it this way. God said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? Is, any, is anything too hard for the Lord? At this, Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I did not laugh. But God said, yes, you did laugh. <laughs> did not, did so, I heard you. She laughed because she was 99. And at age 100 years old, Sarah gave birth to Isaac, whose name means laughter. Of course. You got to name the kid laughter. And the nation Israel began. But, but honestly, why did God make them wait 25 more years to have a son? Here's the reason. Sometimes, God wants to build something in you while you're waiting before he can do something great through you. Sometimes God wants you to wait so that he can build into you trust and dependence and wisdom. Sometimes God knows you need something before he can do something great through you, so God's gonna have you wait a while to build what you need. When we were kids, my dad would take our family on long trips to Canada or Colorado in a station wagon, five kids. So whenever we piled into the car for a long trip, there was one question we kids repeatedly asked. We asked it often. We asked it with a kind of pathetic whining. We asked it when we were warned to never ask this question again. And the question, of course, that my parents were irritated over very deeply, the question was, are we there yet? And if the trip was long, say from St. Paul to Colorado, the question would first get asked somewhere between St. Paul and Minneapolis, are we there yet? <laughs> Eventually, we set it to music or to some kind of chant, are we there yet? Are we? Like a bad dream, and it was just like a nightmare. If the answer was no, well, that's bad news. It's only a matter of time then before someone complains about being poked or pushed or psychologically tortured, and then someone violates the airspace, and soon everybody's chanting, are we there yet? We want to get out of this place. Now, eventually, my dad would just snap, because we would start to fight in the back seats, and so while driving with one hand, he would just swing any kid he could grab or hit. He would, it didn't matter. He just wanted to, and we kids would just scatter for the corners. But mom and dad knew that if we could endure the agony of waiting, there was untold adventure ahead. 
And what we learned about our parents is that they were right. That they could be trusted. And that though the journey is long and hard, the goal is worth it. If you just hang in there, we'll get there. I mean, what would Abraham have learned about trusting God if they had kids at age 24? Not much. Because that's kind of normal. But if God gave them kids at age 100, they would never doubt God again. And God needed a leader who would never doubt him again about anything. And so God had him wait. But in order to go, you have to leave. With the faith that God's going to do something in your life if you follow him and trust him. Second key is this. When God tells you to go, man, don't wait until you're ready. Because you'll never be ready. <laughs> I've never been ready for anything. I was not ready to go to college, get married, have kids. Never felt ready to lead a church or write a book. But the truth about being ready, gang, is you will never be ready. When you're making big choices about a job or a move or starting a church or family, you know, we all want to know ahead of time, how is this going to turn out? But you never do know. It takes some faith. I love what John Orberg says. He says, feeling ready is overrated. What God is looking for is obedience. That is so true. Obviously, when you decide to get married, for example, you want to make sure you have the same faith and values or it's going to be trouble. But no matter what big choice you're making, you can't be 100% sure. Ortberg says, when God wants you to go, the sequence is often like this. You, you sense God's leading, followed by abject terror. You decide to obey, followed by all kinds of problems. Then more terror. Then finally, a deeper faith. And finally, you see the plan. How God orchestrated this whole deal. But it took some, some faith. Don't wait till you're ready. You'll never be ready. I love what Pastor Andy Stanley says about this. You're probably never going to be more than about 80% certain about anything. This is so true. Waiting for 100% certainty may cause you to miss God's opportunity. The key is not readiness. The key is obedience. Third thing today, it's really, honestly, it's really more about being faithful no matter where you go and what you do. It's really about being faithful as a student to God and your morals, to your studies. Doesn't matter what college you're in. No matter what career you choose, showing up to work, putting in an honest day's work. It's about being faithful. Doesn't matter what job, spouse you end up with. And marriage is tough. And people are quirky. Every one of us have issues, sin. And it's about being faithful. It's about working through. Before I came to this church 28 years ago, there were four other churches that said, Bob, we believe it's God's will that you become the pastor of our church. Now, how could, it be, how could it possibly be God's divine will that I become the senior pastor at five different churches? 
And what I learned is that God's will is much broader than we think, that no matter which church I chose, as long as I was faithful, I'd be in the center of God's will. I could have gone any, any, any one of those churches and been within God's will, so whatever job you take, whatever person you date, whatever person you might marry one day, be faithful. Be trustworthy. Follow God's word. Love your family. And never, ever, ever waver from truth. So are you being faithful in every area of life? And now that leads me to one more decision that I need to tell all of you about. Uh, my wife and I have prayed over this decision more than any other decision in our life. It's one that God began stirring in me almost two years ago. And God has confirmed this decision over and over. But I've decided that it's time for me to retire from being the senior pastor of this incredible church. It's a decision that is 100% mine, that Laurie and I have bathed in prayer, and that I've known about for about 18 months now. So my last day as senior pastor will be March 1st, a little over five months from now, on my 63rd birthday. I've shared this timetable with my kids, the church board, Jason Strand, our leadership team, our entire staff, and now with all of you, the church and people who I love. I deeply, deeply love this church. I've had every range of emotion outside of my family this has been the greatest honor and privilege of my life. And while there's never a perfect time to retire, there are better times than others, and I truly, I truly believe this is the very best time for me, my family, and honestly, for our church. It's actually necessary and good for every organization to transition to younger leadership who has a new set of eyes and the energy to keep charging the hill and take it to the next level. You should all know that I'm perfectly healthy. There's no hidden issue or problem. I'm not being pushed out. It's, my, it's been my decision based on God's divine direction. Our church, by the way, is in the best position it's ever been. We're coming off the best year we've ever had, financially and numerically. This past year, in one year, 6,001 people began following Christ through this church. Over 2,000 were baptized. These, these numbers are unprecedented across the country. We opened Campus 8 in Lakeville a few months ago, and our ninth campus in Rochester is just four weeks away. And we are stronger now as a church than we've ever been in our history. It's a good time to go. Some of you might think, Bob, you're only 62. And you're healthy, you got a lot left, except that I don't. I can feel it in my body and in my spirit. I've been doing this for over 33 years, and gang, I can tell you, it's time. Sometimes pastors and leaders stay too long. 
That's not good for anybody. You know, when racers, runners are running a relay race, the very best time to hand off the baton is when you're running at full speed. So if you stumble toward the next runner and he or she has to wait for a bad handoff, the whole team will lose. I don't want to do that. I want to hand the baton off while I'm running at full speed so that the whole team wins. Now, while the when of my decision may have caught you off guard today, the who I'm handing the baton off to will come as no surprise, and his name is Jason Strand. Yep, go ahead and clap. He deserves it. I'm so glad to hear you clap. This past year, the board took Jason through a long process of assessing his abilities and his readiness. They spent months in thought and prayer and discussion and comparing him to other candidates. And Jason has emerged from that process as the unanimous recommendation of the church board and of myself. And in two weeks, the membership will be able to vote on that officially. But I want to say a couple words about who Jason is. First of all, he's ready. He's 40 years old and has a good 20 years ahead of him. I don't. <laughs> I just, you know, the 40s and 50s are prime leadership years. And we, I, I can't tell you how blessed we are to have Jason Strand as the person coming behind. He's one of the finest speakers and leaders in our country. He just keeps getting better. What's more is he's humble. He's godly. He has said to me more than once, Bob, I'm not clamoring to be the senior pastor, but I believe it would be disobedient if I didn't do it. That's humility. I watch him in board meetings, leadership meetings, how he leans into conflict and cares for every aspect of our church. I can tell you, Jason loves this church, and he loves God with all his heart. He's uniquely gifted for this role. He is a man of prayer. He is a student of the Bible. And his wife, Sarah, is an absolute gem. Much like my wife, Sarah, doesn't need or want notoriety. She just wants to support Jason and pray for our church. She's perfect for Jason and will be a source of strength for him. Jason also knows that I'll always be there for him if he needs me. I'll be his greatest cheerleader, encourager, and someone he can always lean on at any time for anything. What's next for me? Honestly, I have been running the race so hard for so long that I'm going to need some time alone with God, time alone with my family, and of course, my dog and my shotgun, and that's serious. I'm going to need at least six months for my head to clear and my soul to restore and then trust that God's going to show me what's next. I personally don't believe God will release me from my responsibilities here or reveal to me until he releases me from my role here. Part of what I'll be doing, probably a little more writing maybe, maybe advising other pastors and churches, but honestly, a big part of it is simply going to be being a husband, a dad, and a granddad. For over 30 years, my wife has usually attended and spent weekends pretty much alone. And my kids often got the leftovers. So I want to change that. We're not moving. We don't have a place in Florida. <laughs> this is our home. 
And this is our church. This is our kids' church. My son David and Sarah and their two boys are here. They're all in. They love our church. They support it financially. They're, they just, they love what God is doing here. My daughter Megan and her husband Nellie and their three kids are moving back from Pittsburgh this July. And a big part of the reason they chose Minneapolis St. Paul is because of this church. They want to be here. They want to be a part of it. The Merritt family loves this church. It's a part of our lives. So I'll continue to speak until March 1st. I'll still be around. I'm not dead. In fact, a couple of weeks ago, I, I swatted a wasp. I was on the back deck, and I swatted a wasp. I hit him really hard, and I knew, you know, he wasn't going to make it, and he kind of went down to the deck, and he was doing circles, and it was just kind of a death spiral. And then he stopped, so I knew he was on his last leg, so I just kind of let him be. An hour later, I came back out on the deck in bare feet. <laughs> that wasp stung the bottom of my foot, one of the worst bee stings I've ever had. My foot swelled. It itched for days. And my point is this. That I might look like I'm kind of dead. <laughs> but I still have some sting left. And I'm going to give it my best these next five or six months. Oh, no. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. It means so much. Thank you. You can stay standing if you want. I just have one final word to say to you. Thanks so much for that, by the way. And I know that praise belongs to, to Christ. You know, I just got to be a part of it. Remember what Jesus said? He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell won't be able to stop it. The most important name in this church is the name of Jesus Christ who has promised that he will build his church. His is the only name that matters. He's the one who leads this church and it's to him that I owe my life. And we all owe eternal thanks for what he has done and will continue to do. Gang, I love you. I love this church. And I can't wait to see what God is going to continue to do through all of us as we serve him to the very end. And now if you would, just let's bow and pray and, and honor him in our prayer. God, thanks so much that we get a chance to do this, that we got a chance to serve you and continue to do that. To this day, I don't understand why you chose me and why you chose us. I don't get it. But I'm grateful. It's been the, it's been the most important thing in my life next to my family. There are many beginnings and endings in life, God. 
and a lot of uncertainty in that, but there is one constant. And Jesus, it's you. You are the beginning and you are the ending. You're the Alpha and Omega and everything in between. You are Lord over this church. You are Lord over our lives, whether we acknowledge that or not. You are sovereign. You hold our life in your hand. You gave us life. You have the ability and will one day take it away. Jesus, you are Lord over every breath we take. You created us. You allow us to breathe. And God, we will serve you and we will worship you, Lord Jesus Christ. Until that day, you say it's time. And it's in your name that we all pray. And thank you. Amen. You're a great church. Love all of you.